this week in sparkling water. My name is Joachim Erickson and I'm the host of This Week in Sparkling Water and I started recording like three minutes ago and I've just been sitting here in silence because... I don't know. I was just waiting for the ebb and flow of caffeine to hit me. I don't know. I was waiting for some sort of rush of something but I think I'm just going to have to go in cold, you know? I have a bunch of topics that I've been thinking about this week. I guess I just have to start talking about one of them. Okay, maybe I'll just actually talk about something else and talk about why I feel a little bit like low-energy Jeb today. Um, Today is like a Wednesday, and I had today off and yesterday off. My weekend, I got off work on Monday, and my weekend started, and and I just... I, I For the first time in maybe years, I just had made sure not to plan anything for myself for my two days off. Like, I'm not going to see anyone. I didn't have it. Like, I'm single. There's no one. There's nothing. I'm just, I just have two days off. And there's no multi-hour project of life admin. I don't have to do my taxes, you know. I don't have to do a software developer boot camp. Giving myself two days off from learning Python. We're doing nothing. And so I get off work on Monday and I just did it. I just go home. I boot up the, the old gaming rig and I, I played video games until 4 a.m. And then I woke up and I was like, fuck it, let's just do it. And I played video games for another seven hours. Then I went and had pizza with Brie. Fuck it, went home, turned the computer back on, gamed until 3 a.m. And then I started getting a little bit of panic because I was like, Jesus, I'm really losing control of this <laughs> because I was already sleep deprived because I'd gamed until 4 a.m., fallen asleep, woken up at 11, sleep deprived, and then tired all day gaming, tired, and my eyes started burning. And your your eyes get weird, you know, after like, you know, when you hit hour six and seven, <laughs> your body your body starts to send you signals about how you know, red alert, red alert, this isn't actually good. This isn't going well. Red alert, systems are failing, you know. Your eyes are burning, your muscles feel weird, and, and you're, you get into this weird state of there's a mismatch between how tired your brain is and how tired your body is because your brain gets really tired and your body gets really restless. And on a good day, when we exist with perfect harmony, there's like your your mind is quite tired, but not too tired. But so like you've done a day's work and you feel good about it, but you're not overexerted. There's not an uncomfortable overexertion. And your body also feels tired, but there's not like an uncomfortable, destructive overexertion. And it's just you've come and there's these two, two different graphs, one graph of body and one of mind. And they're both like, they're both like moving. There's some synchrony. There's some, uh, there's everything is like in sync like that. But when you when you game pretty hard, it's like those movie scenes where like the r- light is blinking red and you see these graphs that are not syncing up and the two like um oh god, I'm explaining this so poorly. You know like old-timey computers and there's like a wavy red line and a wavy green line and they're supposed to match up and and overlay perfectly but they like become unsynced and everything is blinking and it's like warning warning and it's like that's how it feels, you know. So yeah, I was all sleep deprived yesterday and then I still just gamed till 3 a.m. Fell asleep after 4. Woke up at 11. More sleep deprived. So now I'm tired. But I put the screen, I put the monitor away. I put everything away in the bedroom a little bit. It's off. So I haven't played today yet. And it's that, that feels good. I'm experiencing withdrawals. But it's all right. Like there's this lingering sort of spinning because in the game I'm, I'm constantly like spinning around sword fighting, just spinning, spinning, spinning. So like every time I blink for that microsecond that my eyelid is over my eye, I just get this one single frame of like midair spinning because my brain is just still in that space of like, well, you watch like this spinning sword dance thing for fucking every single waking second for the last couple of days. So, so I guess that's the world now. That's the entire world. Oh, 
So that's why I feel a little bit flat and tired. And that's why the adrenaline didn't hit my bloodstream and, and, and that's why it didn't do me good on the podcast, you know? So let's go from there and move on to like something I wanted to talk about. I don't know. Here's something I thought about. This is a, I've talked about this before or like for the, for like 10 years, the last 10 years of being friends with Dr. Luke, his big problem in life was that being a doctor in the Anglosphere, my friend, Dr. Carl in Sweden tells me that it's not the same in Sweden. It's actually more of a thing in the Commonwealth Anglosphere, UK, US, Australia, that kind of world where being a doctor includes this incredible overscheduling where you work 80 hours a week and you're tired to the bone always. And, and, and that was always Dr. Luke's problem that there was no option of him just working 50 hours a week. He had to work 80. And I was always so fascinated with that because it, there's so many reasons why it doesn't make sense. Like more people die. The only reason it happens is because of capitalism. I thought. More people die when doctors are too tired, you know, diminishing returns. They're so unhappy. I feel like the doctors would happily make a little bit less money and work a little bit less. But that's just not an option. Rosters is what he always called it. That's how they refer to the scheduling in that world. And then a similar conversation was um, a couple of episodes ago, I described talking to my the right wing wing of my family here in America and how I wanted some work-life balance in my career. And I was talking to them about what to do professionally. And, and they were like, you sound like a millennial just because I didn't want to commit to working 80 hours a week. You sound like a millennial and how that really hurt my feelings. And I didn't know how to understand it. And the only way I could understand was that what you're really saying is I suffered. So you have to suffer too. That's what I said at the time about it. And it's the same thing. But so then the reason I thought about this this week is because I was listening to this one podcast about something as random as like something in Japan called Roshis. A Roshi is a spiritual teacher. It's really just a Japanese Japanesification of the Chinese word Laoshi, which just means teacher. And uh, in this thing, they were talking about how in the lineage, like those Japanese teachers... They write about how suffering is in the lineage and they don't hide it. There's a lineage to it where like you suffered, so you make your students suffer. And that's it. That's, there's like this, there's this history to it. It's because of the history and it's like this painful historical animal brain thing but yeah i don't know there's something like in modern thinking that makes that feel revolting because it feels it seems unnecessary and inexplicable there's something in when you approach it as like this you think of yourself as civilized and modern and you approach it and it just seems so so barbaric and, and it just seems stupid, really. But like there's a much truer way to understand it, which is like you want it's almost like a child brain. Like it's easier to understand it if you think about it in like with a child brain. And the thing is that the child brain conclusion is so often truer than our put on modern self interpretation of something. Because like the, a child like justice is like one of the first concepts that a young child can understand. Justice and equal treatment. Like he got candy, so I should get candy. I didn't get candy, so he shouldn't get candy. I did something and I was punished for it. So when he does the same thing, he should get punished. And if I see him do the same thing and he doesn't get punished, it like makes my skin crawl. I'm a child. I approach the world like this. I did it and I got punished. If he does it and he doesn't get punished, it's like it, it, my entire being, there's like a rebellion in every cell inside of me because there's like this, 
lack of justice there. And it's like, that's what it is. And so often when we're trying to build a modern society and be civilized and like make things better, we're like fighting that. I don't know. It's a little bit like how I talked last episode about how I think it's interesting to think that even ancient men was like fidgety. So even a 5,000 year old meditation technique has this thing where like you focus on moving your finger back and forth so that you don't fidget. It's a little bit like that in the sense that like, so we have these like ultra educated Western world doctors who have these rosters that are completely controlled by a, a totally childish, pre-modern, Neolithic era, like an anatomically modern humans have existed for 200,000 years. And even 195,000 years ago, a child had the same emotional concepts as the emotional concept that rules scheduling for doctors in New Zealand. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's such a basic idea that the basic idea has always been there. He suffered so... I, I suffered, so he has to suffer too. Like, I did this thing and I suffered for it. So he has to suffer. I don't know. I guess maybe... Am I saying that it that that the point of that is that... I don't know. I guess the point of it is that when you encounter that, you can really look at it as a child looking at an, uh, an adult looking at a child. Like when someone says, someone makes fun of me for wanting to have work-life balance, I should probably pat them on the head, you know, and say it's okay. And just realize that I'm a grown-up and they're a child. God, that sounds so petty. It's like my whole thing now is just controlled by my my wanting to win the argument, which is another child logic prison. Like my whole thing is just controlled by winning arguments. I just want to be right and win the argument. It's my whole thing. And God damn it, that's a prison. I'll tell you that right now. Ugh, I had this guy come into the restaurant and I'm, I go up to the host stand and he's standing there and he's looking at the menu and he's like, your menu on the internet is different. And people bring that up quite a lot. And because they do, I am actually well-versed in having that argument. So I'm like, yeah, actually, so our me our menu on our website is actually correct. But then there's a third party website that like pulls data from other websites and lists menus of other places. And we're not in control of those websites. And there's one of those websites that's wrong. And for some reason, that one shows up real high up in the Google hits when people Google our menu. So, so they look at it and it's like crazy. It's like the craziest menu because it's from probably 15 years ago. And it's got all these like different stakes on there. And the problem, what I've realized, look, first of all, let me just say, I didn't have great responses when we had the conversation. And then the reason I have so much information about it now is because I was, after he argued with me about this for like three days, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I just like sunk so much cognitive energy into thinking about what I should have said. Like, I played out this scenario in so many ways. And honestly, he was like kind of an old guy and he was real price sensitive. And what I should have said, yeah, I should have just bought him dinner. Like, he didn't want, he thought we were too expensive to buy dinner at our place. And I should have just been like, sit down, I'll buy you a steak. That's like the ultimate way to win the argument. <laughs> But what happened in reality is that he argued with me a bunch and he argued with me so much that he kept being like, oh, this sucks. I'm so disappointed. Oh, but like, why is it different? On Oh, but, but it's so, oh, on the website, it's so much cheaper. Oh, 
he he like and I was like, yep, sorry, I you know it's like and I say these things, you know, I make these sort of black blanket statements about, you know, I'm here to answer any questions that he's got, and we are not in control of that website and and all this stuff, and he just wouldn't stop, and he just he's just repeating himself, and it lasted for so long that the four people that were standing behind him after he left, the four people that were standing behind him could not stop impersonating him and they were saying the same things to me <laughs> and they were like so we looked at the me- website on we looked at the menu online and it's different it's like and they were like we are impressed with your patience that's what one of them told me you were being very patient there that's what they told me but that doesn't matter because i wanted to win the argument but so what I realized later, because then I spend hours like Googling our menu everywhere, and, and I realized that there's five websites out there that have our menu. And the crazy thing is that four of them are completely correct. Like they're run by like restaurantguru.com, foursquare.com. Those websites are so good at scraping data off the internet and pulling it out and showing it themselves that that they are complete, like we update our menu and immediately the update shows up on their website. It's actually fascinating how well it works. But there's one completely defunct website. It's called zmenu.com. And that website has a menu that's 15 years old. And the thing about a 15-year-old menu is not so much that like, oh, that one has skirt steak and we have a flat iron steak. It's not that he wants skirt, skirt steak and that he doesn't want flat iron steak. It's more about inflation and how there's a steak section on the zmenu.com page showing our menu and all the steaks are like 18 bucks. And that's less like now just a pound of beef is more than that. Not even counting like the labor and everything else that goes into it and how we have to like, you know, keep the lights on. You have to price in everything of a restaurant, the labor cost and the rent and, you know, there's a fucking sauce too, you know? There's a bone marrow salsa that gets drizzled on there. That's not free. So, so like in my head, I'm afterwards, I'm just steam stewing angrily. And I'm like, he's like, I walked all the way down here. And I wanted an $18 steak, not a $40 steak. And, you know, what I should have said is like, well, if you want an $18 steak, it's, it's not a simple matter of walking down the street. It's more of a matter of inventing a time machine and going back to, I don't know, like a pre-9-11 era. We could walk into a diner and get a $18 steak, and it's a big steak, too. But this is the year of our Lord 2022. But what what was true pre-9-11 and post-9-11 is that humans just want to win arguments, and that's all that was for me. I just wanted to win the argument. God. Made me so uncomfortable, that man. Because he won the argument. God, I hated that. Fuck. But now, next time someone brings up the menu thing, that the wrong menu online problem that has been brought up many times in the past and will be brought up in the future, now I have so much fucking, so many things to say about it. But I hope I don't immediately end up buying everyone dinner as soon as they bring that up. me daydreaming about winning the argument by buy, buying him dinner. I hope that doesn't turn into a big chunk out of my paycheck going towards that. That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem right. Here's another thing that I thought about that seems related. It's like things a long time ago versus now. It's like I was on... I was going to say Instagram. No, it was YouTube. I, I was on YouTube and I was watching TikTok videos. So I'm not on, I don't have anything like that on my phone because I think it's poisonous. But I will sometimes get on my computer and go in the browser and look at the short videos because it is also fun. And I, um, 
I saw one and it's so, it made me think of something. Um, it's a meme. It's a four second video or whatever. And the first frame, it just says times when the world doesn't seem real or something like that. Times when the world doesn't feel real. And then the first one is like, when you wake up and there's snow outside. And then the next one is like, taking a shower at night. And then it's like, the evening before going on a trip or whatever. And all of these, sta all of these sentences are like misspelled a little bit, shortened, written in sort of SMS language, like just text language, like just teenager truncated, collapsed down grammar. And they're set to this sort of vibey music. And they found like the most evocative photos to put behind the text. Like, but what I, what it made me think of is how like, it's, it's a form of meme <clears throat> that's almost like deeply literary. Cause I don't know. I don't know if it connects with you when I just say it and say it on a, on a podcast like this, but it really connected with me where I, I thought it was actually quite beautiful. And it made me think of how those people that produce beautiful stuff like that in a, in an old world, they would like be novelists or something. They would be poets. And then long enough back, they would be like the poet that sit around, they sit around the campfire and like, I don't know, have some sort of spoken oral tradition storytelling or some shit. But it's like that. It just fascinates the fuck out of me how our highest form of culture now, where the best minds produce the most evocative, beautiful art that's like deeply literary and just has this sublime quality, those people chill on the internet and make like four second videos. Because you can Google it. You can go out there and, and Google like times when the world doesn't feel real and you'll get to these like meme deposits where someone will show you 24 second videos listing like 40 different things which are the things like that because there's something about like all of those individually are beautiful to me like the, the night before you go on vacation everything does feel weird because you're about to like pack your whole life into this little box and then you're about to take that box on the road and you're about to just go to a new place and just be your little box and be so outward facing and the world seems like it's not even really there and like when you wake up and there's snow outside and there's just like completely crisp snow especially if it's at night you wake you wake up and look out and it's nighttime and there's snow the world feels crazy and different and like if you're in the habit of showering every morning Morning. when you when it's pitch black and you shower at night it's just the world doesn't seem real at all like all of those things <clears throat> i don't know i don't know i think i'm saying we should be respecting our meme makers more because they catch a bad rap because at the same time it's true that the four second meme format is poison to the human brain like what it does to your Consuming those every day, what it does to your attention span and to your like choice, your, your, the habit of choosing every three seconds if you should keep watching this or not. Like these are four second videos, but not, you don't even watch the full four seconds. You just sit there and you're like, you watch two seconds of it and then you're like, next, next, next. And you just scroll through them and the, the, teaching yourself the habit of thinking that every two seconds you should be deciding. You should be giving something a thumbs up or thumbs up. You should be saying next or not saying next. Like that's an incredibly unhealthy heuristic. God. But we don't live in the world we want. We live in the world we have. And, and the world we have is that that's the format and the best people make shit on that format. I don't know, I was listening to this other podcast where they were talking about a Ted Chang novel, like a new Ted Chang novel about people with perfect memory. Like you you implant, you put an implant in your brain and you everything that happens to you, you can like go back in your brain and see it again and hear it again from your own, like not from an outside camera, but like the way it was experienced in your brain. And then it talks about how identity breaks down then because so much of identity is like that you have to tell yourself a story about what happened 
and you have to fudge it a little bit and, and describe yourself as a little bit better than you were. And you have to like cherry pick stuff. And I was like, man, that makes, that that's not right. That can't be right. And then like that same day I was on my phone and I just saw this photo of myself that I'd accidentally taken. <laughs> you know, when you accidentally take a selfie or like your phone accidentally takes a selfie, like you wanted to take a photo with the front facing camera. Or like you wanted to take a photo outward, but you accidentally took a photo inward. It's a little bit of a boomer thing that not everyone does that I don't do all the time, but it happened, okay? I was going to do something and I accidentally took a photo of my face looking down on my phone and I have like a double chin and my hair is not done and my skin is terrible and I just look fucking crazy bad. The way we all look, when you look down on, like if you look down on your phone right now and take a selfie of yourself looking down at your phone, you look fucking crazy bad. And that's something that I learned in the 90s. There was this episode of Oprah. This is like pre-cell phone cameras, so she really, people weren't even paying attention because people weren't photographers. Now everyone's a photographer, but but she was talking about how you should always have the f- the camera be slightly above your face and then that will s- that will like really sort of smoothen out your face skin cuz you're looking up and it just stretches the skin a little bit and so she took and showed on the TV these photos of herself like there's a cameraman on stage with her and he he takes these still photos of her when she's down and he's up and then a couple when she's up and he's down and the ones that are from below it's like I remember being like nine years old and watching Oprah and being like, wow, Oprah, I'm going to file that away in the old memory bank because that seems completely true, the way you're showing me here, that you look terrible in these photos where you're shot from below. But so I'm I'm looking at my phone and I notice this selfie that I don't even remember taking that's just my face from below and I look awful. And I'm like, Jesus, got to delete that photo. And then I, I'm reminded of this sci-fi thing because this sci-fi thing will probably happen, you know? With Neuralink and all the different cyborg shit that we're going to invent for ourselves, pretty soon enough we'll have some sort of enhancement of memory plugged straight into the brain that you that's probably optional in the beginning, you know, like LASIK. Availability similar to LASIK. And then eventually it'll be perfect. And you can remember everything. And then the idea that you can't, I mean, I don't know. Maybe as long as you have a delete button in that perfect memory, it'll be good. Because I was, what I'm saying is looking at that horrible photo of myself, because that photo is true. Like I did look like that through the lens of the camera in that moment. And that photo is as true as like when I think, oh God, I never think I look good. I was going to be like, when I look good, I don't look. Oh. I think the truth is that I hate the way I look and it's not a process of learning to like the way I look as much as it is a process of realizing that it doesn't matter what I look, how I look. But anyway, the point is that I'm looking at this photo and I'm confronted with like, what if I have perfect memory of how terrible I look all the time? What if I can't delete it? That would, and then you can obviously like project that onto like any story where you were heroic in a story in your own interpretation of the story and how, what if the actual recording of what actually happened is perfectly captured in your brain and, and you cannot forget how you're really lying to yourself. (sighs) Ah. I don't know. I just, I'm in the closet recording this and I just noticed that there's a shoebox in the closet that I keep ties in. All my, I have like 40 ties and I have them rolled up in a shoebox. And I'm realizing looking at the side of the shoebox, there's a sticker showing the shoe that was in the shoebox. And it's like my ex wife's shoe, size 10, European size 41. And it's like a perfect, it's a, purple Tiva platform universal marbled orchid is the name of the color 
and that makes me feel bad. That makes me feel bad. Last episode, I talked about how I talked to my ex-wife, and and um, this morning, Asher sent me all these messages about how, like, yeah, so I don't like it when my friends say they're talking to their exes, and people never know what's going on, and that's totally true. I don't actually know why I, I talked to her, and, and um, I'm not in control of anything there. Let's do a water. So, this week we're doing... Is this a screw top? Please be a screw top. Oh, it is a screw top. Twist top, or whatever it's called. So this week we're doing Casamara Club. I have an annoyed relationship with these, like many of them, because I emailed them and asked for some free samples. And then I got an email back, which was an internal email where the person who got the email forwards it to someone else in the company being like, should we send this guy some water? And I am CC'd. And then there's no more response. So it's like, apparently the answer was no. But but they had the wherewithal to ask the question. But they didn't respect me enough to send me any water. So I'm annoyed. So then I went on their website and just bought some water, you know, a month later. So these are Amaros. Amaros are like herbal liqueurs, aperitifs, digestives, I don't know. It's like an Italian thing with, where they put lots of herbs in in the liqueur and it's... They can be delicious. Campari is maybe the most famous one in America. So these are non-alcoholic Amaro-ish things. It's really for the sort of like sober person. Wow, the ingredients are cool. Extracts of Italian lemon, sage leaf, rhubarb root, Italian shinoto, juniper berry, and anise. Mediterranean sea salt. Yeah, juniper berry. Actually smells quite ginny. Okay, let's try it. So this one, Casamara Club is the brand, and this one is called Onda. All four of them have these crazy Italian names. That's probably not real Italian. God, it smells like gin. Oh, wow. That's very cool. It's from Detroit, Michigan. That is just very cool. God damn it. I hate it when people that don't respect me do cool things. Oh. God damn it. That's an 8.5 out of 10. That's an 8.5 out of 10. Okay, so here's something funny that happened. I was at work on Monday and, um, now nah, it was Sunday. And Sunday was the day when the guy complained about the menu online. And, and it just so happened that Sunday was a difficult day where maybe 10 times I was like called in to deal with something where the person just couldn't deal with it. And they, the per, a guest is just like, I need to talk to a manager. And then I'm brought in and I just have to take a bunch of complaining in ways that didn't totally make sense where I have to push back a little bit, but mostly just take it. And it's like, that is just emotionally devastating to be <laughs> like, to be on the manager, to be on the manager end of a Karen saying, I need to talk to a manager is just, there is no way to not have it affect you. Not that I know of. And it happened kind of multiple times. And so at the end of it, for some reason, it, it usually doesn't happen at all. But this shift had happened like many, many times in one five-hour period. And so at the end, I'm just sitting in the office like devastated. I just feel devastated. And then Joey, the bartender, comes in and he just hands me a phone and says, it's one of your podcast fans. And then he walks away. And it's like, that's a sick burn. <laughs> it's just so funny how people make fun of me for having a podcast at work. Like whenever I talk too much, they're always like, save it for the podcast. And, you know, I don't, I can't come up with an example, but people, 
but that's an example being giving me a phone and saying it's one of your podcast fans but so then i say hello into this phone and then it turned out that he wasn't actually joking so much and it was his girlfriend who has listened to a bunch of episodes of the podcast and she said a bunch of very nice things about it and it was it was nice it was interesting how i was feeling really flatlined emotionally so i was struggling to connect a little bit and she was talking as if she was talking to me on the podcast which for reasons that i will now describe are a little bit tough because the thing that i thought was interesting that i want to mention about it is that <laughs> that thing i i think this is part is so funny because joey's talking to me about it afterwards and he's like yeah it's a li- he does not want me to say this on the podcast but i'm going to say it on the podcast anyway he's like yeah it's a little bit annoying that she's obsessed with your podcast because she keeps saying how you're so emotionally available and then she wants me to be like that and she wants me to be emotionally fluent and be a man and like because she's like it's so impressive for a man to be like fluent and talking about his emotions and be so open and everything and that is so fucking funny because ask anyone from my recent relationships and they'll tell you that that's not true (laughs) that's not true at all i am like the most illiterate like emotionally illiterate person ever and like ask hannah that i dated recently or like brie or Haley that i sort of short-term dated a little bit before that or maybe like jamie before that or julie before that like any of these girls that i've dated since i got a divorce ask any of them and they will all say the same thing of like I'm completely incapable of communicating openly. I'm incapable of knowing what I'm feeling. Completely incapable of talking about it. We'll always just avoid talking about it. And there's this farcical thing about how I have a podcast where I'm really open about emotions. And it's like a farce because it's like I do this performance of being able to do it into a microphone, but then in reality where it matters... I can't do it. I'm worse than anyone. (laughs) It's so funny because with every single one of those five most recent relationships, I think at some point in all five, the girl looked at me with disdain and it was like, well, maybe if you could talk about this, the way you talk about things on your podcast, this wouldn't be a complete fucking shit show right now. You know, maybe everything wouldn't suck if you put any effort into learning how to talk about this in reality instead of just being able to talk about it in this like completely narcissistic thing where you have a microphone in your closet <laughs> it's so funny so it's so funny that, that joey's girlfriend is out there thinking that i'm this great boyfriend and that he should be more like me it's so fucking funny because he's definitely a better boyfriend than me <laughs> It's so horrible. I have no idea what's going on. (sighs) Completely emotionally illiterate. Damn, that's some juniper berry, all right. So, hey, I actually have a little piece of paper here with the description. Onda is our wild lemon leisure soda, herbaceous and inspired by Sicilian Amaro. Oh, fuck, how cool is that? Oh, that's so cool. Because this other one is an easy orange leisure soda inspired by Amaro made in the hills and lakes of northern Italy. So this is like a Sicilian Amaro style non-alcoholic thing. Oh, I hate that I like that so much. Anyway... God damn it. So I, I, I've, um, I've been reading this book called Anatomy of a Moment. It's about the coup in Italy. No, no, in Italy. Just because, oh God, in Spain. The coup in Spain in 1981 or whatever. In 1981, Spain is weird because it was like a dictatorship under Franco into well into what we think of as the modern era. Like, it just feels like post-war... Post-World War II just feels like the modern era where all of Europe was 
democratic or whatever, but it wasn't. Spain was like, had a dictator until 79 or something. And then they had this election and there was a prime minister or president or whatever. And, and then two years into it, when everything was still really new and really like the institutions were still really weak because they were so young. Two years into it, there was an attempted coup where the military just walked into the parliament and just tried to take over. And I, I read a book about it because <sighs> Joan Hari said it was a great book. And I love Joan Hari, the author. And, and um, it just seems a little bit easy to compare to or, or like Donald Trump's January 6th attempted coup and like Donald Trump going forward. It just seems like there's some interesting echoes of history going on here where, so how do coups play out in the modern world? You know, what does it, what does it look like? How many people have to fold for an entire government to be revamped? And it keeps happening in places with weak institutions in places that we maybe think of as the third world. Plenty of successful coups there. But I, I approached it and I was like, I, I, I don't know. I was just curious about it and I wanted to learn about it and and um, to maybe have something interesting to say about Donald Trump in January 6th and him trying to destroy the, you know, the voting process in America in modern day. But, but so I'm reading this book and then the book is like just so tiringly meta. Because it's so true. Because it's like an actual, actual smart person's account of a true political event that happened in reality. And it's like, it starts out with the author talking about how he was trying to write fiction about it. And it's like, <clears throat> because he read this one book... He read a book that was proposing sort of this conspiracy theory of how everyone was in on it and what happened was happened exactly how they wanted it to happen. And the book made perfect sense. And it was like a new idea. So this is like a Spanish political writer. So he should know all the different theories of what happened. But so he's presented with this book that presents a new idea of how it all makes sense. And for like a few weeks, he was like so taken with how there's this new explanation for the conspiracy that happened. And then he starts writing this fiction book based on that. And then it all falls apart. And he realizes that it just, I don't know, this is not that good of a rant, but it's like, the point is that he realizes that anything that happens in reality like that in a parliament, in a big country, I, I like how in the book, they keep referring to the, um, the political sphere in Madrid in Spain, Madrid being the capital of Spain, obviously, they refer to it as the village of Madrid because, like, there's a few hundred people in power in Madrid. So those few hundred people have all these, like, complicated relationship in the sort of, like, village-like structure. The village of Madrid. But even though it's only a few hundred people, each one of those people have individual one-on-one -on -one relationships with all the other people and it's like so infinitely complicated and it's really a book that does this thing that's like truth which is that no definitive statements are made anywhere and that's how it is you know like i remember back in school <laughs> and when you get a bachelor in Chinese at Lund University where I studied, there's like these, it's a, it's like a video game where there's like a first level boss and then like a level five boss. It's like each professor gets more and more complicated. So the first semester you have like two professors. I mean, I use the word professor here loosely. Teachers. The first semester you have like two teachers and then the second semester you have like one of those stays on and is still teaching you and then there's a new guy. And then the second year you get like this guy, Petal Sivam, who's like very, very good at Chinese, very, very good at teaching it. And he's like a mid-game boss. And then the last year 
the last classes, like semester five and stuff, you get this, the actual professor who is, he's an old man and he knows more about China and Chinese politics and Chinese history than like almost anyone. And he wrote some of the books with, with this, that were published, published by the Harvard press with this Harvard professor who's like the def definitive, I think his book is called Mao's Last Revolution, and it's very much the definitive book on the Cultural Revolution that is definitely used as a textbook on all the highest level courses where you study the Cultural Revolution in depth. And so he knows more about Chinese politics and stuff than anyone. And <clears throat> what you get to on that level which is true everywhere in academia with squishy subjects like this, is that you get to a point where no definitive statements are ever made. And what I've learned is that when you get to a person like that, that refuses to make any definitive statements, you've actually gotten to the highest level and this is what truth looks like. And it's so uncomfortable. Like we're so, like that's level 100. That's the last level. And we're so much more comfortable on level 90 where someone will bring us an explanation model and say everything fits into this explanation model and this is truth and we're so comfortable there. And we love to get married to one lens and look at everything through one lens. And then I'm reading this book, Anatomy of a Moment, and he is just... It's a book that zooms in on like the 30 minutes of the coup. Because it was like military stormed the parliament and for 30 minutes no one knew how it was going to go and they were firing they brought guns in there they were shooting and three people did not sit down three people just stood and we're like we're gonna get fucking if i get shot i'll get shot but i'm standing up for democracy and i'm not gonna let the military bulldoze this and then they all made it like they weren't shot. They didn't die, but they they're super different. Like one is like super right wing, one of the three guys and one is like super left wing. And, and then it just zooms in on those people and their old relationships with themselves. And it's like the book has this incredibly unsatisfying truth to it of how there is no final answer to any of it. And there are no easy lessons and there's nothing simple that I can take from that. That will just, because what I'm looking for is like, I'm looking for something to perfectly explain what happened on January 6th, 2021, and then to perfectly foreshadow and pre-explain what will happen when Trump runs again in 2024. And then there's just a frustrating reality that that's not the case. Let's drink another water. So this one is called Sarah, still from Casamara Club. Sarah is our grapefruit leisure soda, a modern update of the classic Italian spritz drink, like an Aperol spritz. Oh man, that smells delicious. Oh, that's so fucking wonderful. Wow. That's a nine out of 10. Allspice, anise, rhubarb root. Extracts of grapefruit. Oh, it makes me so mad. That's so good. Oh. <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know what to talk about. Oh, I'm feeling disconnected, feeling disconnected from everything, feeling, I'm feeling the point, pointlessness of it all, but we just got to feel that, I guess. Everything comes back to how I hate capitalism, but capitalism is the best thing we have. And like, what's more boring than talking about that? Oh, what's more boring than that?
I don't know. Maybe I'm giving up on this episode. Let's drink the last water. This one is called Como. Oh yeah, this is <clears throat> inspired by Amaro made in the hills and lakes of northern Italy. God damn it. God damn it, I feel cultured drinking this. Oh. So this is northern Italy stuff. Extracts of mandarin orange, chamomile, peppermint, licorice root, grapefruit, juniper berry, juniper berry clove bud, cardamom. Wow, there's a... Oh yeah, the clove really comes through. Yeah, you know how I feel about clove. That I'm not into that. Yeah, that's a six out of ten because I hate clove. But it's still cool, and I'd still drink it. Anyway, thank you for listening, everyone, and I love you. I love you for listening all the way to the end. I think the truth is that I think Javi is home and because Javi is home I'm too distracted to keep doing this yeah that's the truth thank you though